many of you have crazy people in your life? Let's just be honest. How many of you came to church with them this morning? They were finger pointing before we even got going. Yeah, look, there, yeah, could be me. Um, I've been known to be called crazy. Um, they're just crazy people in this world. I'm just going to be honest with you. Um, I, I was reading some stories and found a few stories this week. Uh, a crazy story, a guy by the name of Nathan Lerner in, um, in Pennsylvania, got his, from, in, from Philadelphia, got a letter in the mail from the IRS that he owed $280,000 in taxes for four, four years in early 2000, so like 2003 through 2007, and, uh, and it was ridiculous. I mean, he was a single guy on Social Security. Um, there's absolutely no way that he had a $280,000 tax bill that he didn't pay, and so he started doing a little investigating and called up the IRS and went through all the proper channels and and he, was, he decided that he was going to fight this on his own because um, he didn't really have money for a lawyer. And uh, so he started doing a little research and calling. And, and what he discovered was that Philadelphia has a practice where they will send out tax, um, what's it called, uh, just like, like you owe us these high number of taxes just so they can get you to call them to dispute it so they can go through your records. And so, as they were, it's really crazy. It's a fascinating story to read online. Some of you are like, are they really do that? Yes. Um, as, they were go, as I was reading through this story, um, they, they, the director, the collection manager, D- Denise Reynolds, whenever it finally went to court, actually admitted that he didn't probably owe that money, but they were just trying to instigate a conversation. And so they issued this, this amount that he owed and wanted to have a conversation with him. Well, as he was going through the process... Um, he actually had to take it to court to dispute it. And um, the judge, uh, I can't remember the judge's names, I think Judge Levitt, said, you know, Nathan, this is what we need you to do. We need you to pay this certain money to, uh, to get official documents and records so that you could dispute this cost. You need this transcript to prove the fact that this is an illegal charge or, or a legitimate charge. And so he was a little bit frustrated by that because he was having to pay for a transcript that he didn't really have to because he didn't really owe this to begin with. And so he didn't do it. A year later, when he gets to the point where he's filing taxes again and going through the appeal process, he realizes that the statute of his chance to appeal it has gone out, and now he actually has a $280,000 tax bill that he doesn't owe that he actually has to pay. Now say these two words after me. That's crazy. It's just crazy. There's another story that I read online this week about a woman in California who was repeatedly crashing her car into the front of a grocery store. Um, when the police finally arrived, she, she, she ran into the grocery store, backed up, ran into it again, backed up, ran into it again, just repeatedly. The police officer pulled her out of the car, was questioning her. He said, man, what, has, what are you doing this for? What has gotten into you? And she said, well, when I walked into the store, there were two young punk kids who were making fun of my teeth And so I was going to teach them a lesson on respect. And so she started running her car into the grocery store. Say the words after me. That's crazy. There was a woman in Pennsylvania who was in ICU, and she was having a really unusual amount of visitors to uh, to, 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 to see her. And uh, the, the visitors didn't know her name. They would only stay for just a few seconds, and then they would walk out and leave. And uh, so it was just really odd. And uh, the nurses kind of said, you know, what's going on here? This just doesn't make sense. 
So they called the security, you know, and just said, hey, we need you to help us monitor this. Something's happening that's kind of fishy. Well, the security got involved and started paying attention. And as they started doing a little more investigating, they found out that this woman was actually dealing heroin from ICU. And when they went in and, and, and uh, you know, proceeded to arrest her, they found 350 small bags of heroin in her ICU room with over $1,500 cash. Say it after me. That's crazy. A guy in Seattle was in his laundry room, and he saw a spider in the top corner. And um, instead of getting a newspaper, smacking the spider, or like me, running out screaming like a girl, um, and calling my wife to take care of it, uh, he decided that he was going to kill the spider by taking a can of spray paint and a lighter and torching it. of damage later, the spider was dead and his house was almost burnt completely to the ground. Say the words after me. That's crazy. That's not awesome. That's crazy. That's crazy. You will not do that, babe. I will start killing all the spiders in our home now. That's crazy. Here's the deal. I could go on and on and on of crazy stories, and I could probably ask you to name a few crazy stories, and how many of you would say, yes, I know a few crazy stories that I could tell you. Anybody want to raise their hands with me? Or are you just lazy today? That's okay. It's crazy. Here's, Here's something worth noting, is that it's easier for us to see crazy. Can everybody see me okay? It's easier for us to see crazy in other people's lives than it is to see on our own. Amen? It is. It's easier. On the internet, in people's lives, in family members, you, you start thinking, what, what, is, what is going on with this person? They're absolutely insane. It's easier to see crazy in other people than it is to see in us. There's a story that I want to read with you in Mark chapter 5 about somebody who is facing some insanity. And it's a story of the demon-possessed man that encounters Jesus. We're in a series called Divine Encounters, and we're looking at stories of Jesus having encounters with people on the road or while traveling from one place to another. And this is what you find, Mark chapter 5, verse 1 through 15. Excuse me. It says, So they arrived at the other side of the lake, Jesus and his disciples, in the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from a cemetery to meet him. This man lived among the burial caves and could no longer be restrained. It's going to drive me bonkers. Okay, even with the chain. Whenever he was put into the chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrists and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp tones. Should I go up or down with it? Up or down? Down? Okay, let's try that. Okay. Uh, Verse 6, it says, When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, bowed low before him. With a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. Kind of interesting. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, Come out of the man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus demanded him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. Then the evil spirit begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on a hillside nearby. 
Send us into those pigs, the spirits begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission. The evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down into the steep hillside, into the lake, and drowned in the river. The herdsmen fled to the nearby town and their surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there, fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Let's talk a little bit about demons. Not demons, demons, but, but demons that torment us every day. You know, we have demons that we wrestle with. I put a few in your notes, um, just some common demons that we face on a regular basis. Um, one demon that, that people have a tendency to deal with is addictions, right? Um, addictions, it could be alcoholism. Um, it could be eating or, or food addictions. It could be drugs. Um, it could be gambling or, or pornography. Um, all of those things are, are, are addictions and demons that face us and absolutely wreck people's lives. And think about the easy access that these have in our lives today. Any person with a cell phone can, can get their hands on pornography within five seconds. Any person can or any adult can walk into a grocery store and, and purchase something that's leading them down the path of a demon or addiction that can absolutely torment you and wreck your life. Now, some of you are probably thinking, addictions, that, that's kind of a strong term. You know, we've been in a church for a while, right? And church people, we kind of Christianize terms a little bit. And so instead of calling them demons or calling them addictions, let's just call them a harmful habit. You know, it's a little bit safer. Um, and so we have, some of us have harmful habits that, um, that are kind of messing with us, and, and not just messing with us, but absolutely wrecking our lives. Maybe a demon that you face is the, the demon of guilt. Um, something that you've done that you've never admitted. Something that's unresolved in your life, that, that is eating away, and you have a terrible time of forgiving yourself and righting the relationship with other people. So maybe it's, maybe it's guilt. Maybe it's shame. You see, guilt comes when we do something against someone else. Shame comes when something's been done against us. So maybe it's shame. Maybe it's some sort of scar tissue or some sort of abuse or some sort of issue that happened in childhood. Um, a pastor friend of mine, Steve, um, was telling me about how at his church he was having some people, some women give them testimonies about being free from abuse. And this woman was sharing her testimony of how she was sexually molested as as, as just a young, young girl, and, and how it took her well into her adult years to finally wrestle with this shame and find freedom with it. He said he walked out into the lobby in between services, and a woman came up to him and just leaned into his shoulder and started crying. He held on to her and, and put his hand on the back of her head and just reassured her and said, everything okay? And she said, Pastor, I have something to tell you. Um, when I was a child, I was molested, and I've never told anybody, and it's been... It's been hounding me and, and been hurting me and been wrecking my whole life. And he said, what was interesting about the situation is the woman was 86 years old. 86 years old. A whole lifetime of pain and shame and hurt that was done to her from someone else. It's a demon that can latch into our lives and cause us pain. Maybe it's a demon of fear. 
Maybe you've had that nudge. You've felt that nudge in your life to do something bold and to do something amazing for the cause of Christ. And right when you get to the point of just stepping out and taking charge and doing something bold and miraculous for God, that fear comes upon you and you shrug back and you just can't seem to take a step forward. Maybe it's anger, demon of anger. That you're nice publicly, when you're around folks, and you're at church, and you're at work, but when you get home, you unload on your family. Maybe it's, it could be physical, it could be verbal abuse, or it could just be that subtle sarcasm and, and cynical attitude and criticism, which is anger coming out sideways. Maybe it's anger. Or maybe it's a toxic attitude. Maybe, you probably won't admit this, but maybe you're the type of person that when you leave, the room lights up. Because you're just negative, and you're just toxic, and, and it's, it's just straining. You're, you're the type of person that finds the rain in every silver cloud, right? And maybe it's like Eeyore, just following you around, that cloud raining on your life and drowning the people around you. What are the demons that are tormenting you? Well, before we can talk about how we can move beyond these demons, we need to talk about what are demons doing to us. So just a couple things I put in your notes that you can write down. What are our demons doing to us? And the first thing about our demons is that they can separate us from the people we care about. Where was the demonic possessed man living? Where was he living? In a cemetery. How many people do you think were living there with him? Zero. Except for all the dead people, right? Maybe there were a lot. I don't know. But our our demons separate us from the people we care about. If you ever wonder why do people have a tendency to pull away from you, maybe there's something in your life that's driving people away. And it's the people that love us most that we have a tendency to push away and push the furthest. So our demons, they they, they have a tendency to separate us from the people that care about us. Our demons can push us towards self-destruction. The man... In, in, the, in the story, what was he doing to his body? It said that he was beating himself and cutting himself with the stone and he was abusing his body. And, and we think, man, that's really weird, but it's not too different than how people deal with stress in today's world, right? Um, you know, working with teenagers for 16 plus years and my wife being a therapist um, for, for quite a few years, one of the things that you see wrecking our, our children and our teenagers and young adults and even into adulthood is this idea of cutting and it's, it's this, this pain and this abuse and this issue that they don't know how to deal with in their life. And, and so the only way that they can release that or gain some sort of control on their body is by hurting themselves. It's self-destruction. And it, sometimes it's not just physical. Sometimes it's, it's the, the fact that you just can't seem to hold down a job. You know, because you sabotage yourself or you sabotage your work or you sabotage relationships. It is self-destruction. What else do our demons do to us is they can pull us further and further away from God. When the Holy Spirit pushes on us and starts asking us to deal with some of those dark places in our lives, sometimes, instead of leaning into that pain and leaning into that uncomfortableness and leaning into the Scripture and leaning into the church, what do we do? We pull away. 
We pull away from the very thing that can help us, the Holy Spirit and God's Word and and community amongst believers. And instead of leaning into the pain of dealing with all these issues, we find ourselves fleeing from it, and that builds walls and barriers between us and our relationship with our Lord. The last one, what do our demons do to us, that should absolutely scare us and shock us, is that our demons can impact us for generations. This should stagger you. How many of you know alcoholics in their, in, that have parents and grandparents who are alcoholics? It's generational. Abusers, whose kids end up being abusers. People who only know how to communicate through sarcasm and criticism, who are raising children who only know how to communicate through sarcasm and criticism. It passes down through generation to generation. I heard this statement once. What you don't redeem, you will repeat. What you don't redeem, you will repeat, and it will be reproduced by those closest to you. What you don't wrestle with, what you don't redeem, what you don't give to God will one day be repeated and, and be reproduced in the people that you care about most, your kids and their grandkids And those great-grandkids will have to deal with this issue over and over and over again. So we have demons. We have issues. We have habits and addictions and guilt and shame and fear and anger and all these things that are just wrecking us. What do we do about it? How do we move beyond it? How do we find freedom from it? Just a few thoughts. And this is where the meat of our message today. The first thing is this, is that if you really want to let go of your insanity, Let go of that craziness. The first thing is don't minimize your demons. How many have ever heard people say things like, it's no big deal. It's not that bad. I have it under control. All of those phrases are minimizing pain and issues and demons that we have in our lives. Look at the scripture. Paul's writing in Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. says, and don't sin by letting your anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. Read the underlined part with me. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. Now what the scripture says, Paul doesn't say, don't get angry. He didn't write that. He didn't write that that, that, that we have to keep ourselves from getting angry about things in life. It's, It's okay to get angry every once in a while. It's all right when injustice has been done, when when you've been hurt. It's all right to be angry. But he's saying don't allow that anger to fester in your life because when you do, the enemy grabs a foothold in your life. And when you say those words that I said before, like it's no big deal, it's not that bad, it's under control, all of those things give the enemy a foothold, a stronghold in your life. Don't minimize, don't minimize by comparison. What we like to do is we like to look at our issue and then look at somebody else's issue and say, well, I'm not that bad, right? I mean, they are bad, but I'm I'm not that bad. It's not like I'm killing anybody. It's not like, you know, I'm a mass murderer. It's not like I'm dealing drugs. It's not like dot, dot, dot. It's minimize. It's comparison. It's minimizing by comparison. Look, I've been in ministry a long time. And it's strange how easy it is for us to see the sin in other people without seeing it in our own lives. Look, I'm just going to be honest with you. I've seen more churches wrecked and destroyed by gossip than by drug dealers. Amen? 
It's true. I've seen more relationships destroyed in the midst of a church community by gossip and, and not dealing with, 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 with issues in the right way than I have by seeing somebody dealing drugs in the church. And so why do we compare? Why do we minimize? The pain is just the same. Don't minimize the impact on your heart. We say it's not that bad. But what we don't know is that not that bad thing is building a callus in our lives. And it's choking off the Spirit of God and His desire to love you and to speak to you and to make a difference in your life. Don't minimize the impact on others. Look, we can't dispute the facts of what secondhand smoke does to the people we care about. We just can't. Yeah, there are generations of people who are smoking around people that, that they say they love and care about. It's, it's impacting those that we love. Drinking has a direct effect on the people that we care about and the people that we love when we use it and, and abuse it and it has control in our lives. We say these words, I never meant to hurt anybody. But we do. The thing is, is we can't control the consequences our lives has on other people. We can't control it. Here's one last thing. Don't minimize the enemy's goal. You see, the enemy, the the devil, Satan, he's not trying to scare you. He's not trying to intimidate you. He's not trying to make you uncomfortable. He's He's not trying to make you have a rough life and just have a very no good, rotten day. The enemy's goal is to kill you, to destroy you, to steal from your life. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. Peter writes in 1 Peter that the enemy is is a, a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. That is the enemy's goal for your life. So don't minimize it. See, the first step to finding victory is to really understand what these demons have in your life and what they're doing to you. So the second thing is this. Fight your demons, not your angels. Fight your demons, not your angels. One of the sad things about our lives is sometimes we have the tendency to fight the very people who are trying to help us. Right? I read a story about a guy named George. He and his girlfriend were having one of those talks that you have. I remember when Haley and I had our talk. We were about to get engaged. And so we were talking about life. Maybe I'm making this up because you're looking really confused. I don't know. Maybe this just feels like a really good illustration and it absolutely never happened. But we're having one of those talks, thinking about our future and thinking about maybe it was right when we were about to get married. I don't know, but it happened. Um, and we started talking about, you know, what, who do we want to become? What do we want to do? What are things that we have to wrestle with? George and his girlfriend were having this talk about their relationship. And they were talking about what does it look like to take the relationship to the next level and what does the long term look like for each of them and where did they need to grow and where did they need to mature? Did we have that talk? Do we need to have it again? We might. She's looking really confused. Maybe we need to have it again. I don't know. So in the midst of their honest conversation, 
You need to have that talk if you're in a relationship, if you haven't. And maybe my wife and I will have that talk. Um, so they were in the midst of this honor, honest conversation and really dealing with each other's hearts and, and really just bearing each other's souls to one another. When she looked at her, her, her boyfriend, George, and said, George, I, I really think that you might need to take an anger management class. George didn't like hearing the fact that this person thought he needed to take an anger management class, so he grabbed her by the throat and pushed her up against the wall. When he fell asleep that night, she got up, left the house, called the police, and, and said, I, I need you to come. That We've had a situation. They came home, and, and George absolutely denied that he hadn't done anything wrong until the police looked at his girlfriend's throat and saw fingerprints going across it. And they arrested him, and he went to jail. Now, this is a classic example that happens in people's lives over and over again of George having something in his life and somebody in his life that really wanted to help him, that was talking about a future and talking about areas that we needed to grow and talking about where we needed to help one another. And instead of fighting his demons, he he fought his angels. Look at the scripture, James 5.16. It says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Read this next part with me. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. You know, let's be honest. How many of you, like me, have habits in your life that you need to break? Okay, good. And then you get to the point where you let somebody in on the fact that you have something in your life that you need to break, and they see it as their gift to you to actually help you break that habit, and it annoys you to no end. How many of you want to go there with me? Yeah. Here's the thing, is that you may not always like your angels, but you need them. You may not always like your angels. You may not always like what they have to say, but you need them. Everyone needs someone in their life that loves them enough to tell them the truth. Everybody. You you need their support. When everyone is gone, they're the ones that are going to be standing beside you. They're the ones that are going to be there with you. So you need their support. You need their accountability. They hold you accountable, and you can't stand the fact that they hold you accountable. I have this guy in my life by the name of Cody Bobe, He's a great friend, and he's a trainer. He's the fittest man I absolutely know. He's a stud, whatever, and he's constantly checking in on me to make sure I'm staying strong and losing weight, and it really ticks me off. And here's the thing. I need that. I need it. It's like my wife, who's constantly telling me to not get on my phone. I mean, does she have the right to tell me while I'm driving not to text or to reply to emails. She does. And I'm trying to get better at it. She does. Of course she does. We need that accountability in our lives. Amen? Amen. You may not like it, but we need it. You need their prayers. Can I just tell you, that there are some of you here this morning that are alive today because God has honored the prayers of the people that care about you. It's just true. There's some of you that are here this morning that are alive 
today because God has honored the prayers of the people that care most about you. So fight your demons, not your angels. Lean into them. And here's one last thought. It's this. That don't just come to Christ for forgiveness. Come to him for freedom. Don't just come to Christ for forgiveness. Come to him for freedom. The scripture, the scriptures are absolutely beautiful. The scriptures that say that, that when we confess our sins, that he forgives them and he casts them out as far as the east is from the west. The scriptures in Isaiah says that even though our sins make us like scarlet, that dark, bleeding red, that he can cleanse us and make us white as snow. 1 John 1, 9, I want you to read it with me. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And what beautiful, beautiful truths that is for us. That when we confess, when we admit, when we say, God, I need forgiveness and deliverance. The scripture says that he does it. But is that all we should want? Just forgiveness. What else is there? Go back to the man that's in the the graveyard and he's living amongst the tombs. What if he would have said to Jesus, Jesus, I'm full of demons. I need you to cast them out. But it's, but it's okay if you leave one or two. I mean, it's okay. I don't need them all gone. I just, you can, you can leave a couple in there. Or what if he would have said, Jesus, you know, take all these away. And Jesus cleansed them. And then he continued to live in the graveyard. How crazy is that? But that's often just like us. Who we go to Jesus for forgiveness but we never ask him for, for freedom. There's a guy by the name of Rene Fernandez. He got arrested for a second DUI in three months, and he was sentenced to 12 months in jail. Rene pleaded with the judge, this is in California, he pleaded with the judge that he had learned his lesson, he had this family to take care of, and he said, just give me another chance, give me a third chance, give me a chance, I need another chance. And even though this was his second convention, conviction, the, the judge had mercy on him, and suspended his sentence. But Rene hadn't learned his lesson. And he didn't stop drinking. And he didn't stop driving. And he didn't stop driving drunk. And 12 years later, in 2010, Rene was drunk and behind the wheel of a car. And he hit another car, permanently disabling the older man and his wife that were driving. What is ironic is that the man that was disabled was the judge who suspended his sentence. It's great to be forgiven, but it's even better to be set free. It's even better to say, I'm not going back there. I'm not giving this a place in my life anymore. There's too much at stake. John 8, 36, read this with me. It says, so if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Let's read it again. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Are you ready to lose your insanity? Sarah, can you come? Are you ready to be set free from those demons that have been holding you back?